This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of the Pitch to Contact podcast. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Kuh, where we are recording our final episode of the regular season. As we speak, the playoff field is set. The Twins are officially done now that Jordan Luplo had a wild pitch to finish that game against Colorado, and we're moving on. Tuesday, the Twins will be playing the Blue Jays, and here's where we are. John, how are you feeling about everything? Um. Pretty decent. I mean, uh, I think out of all the teams that we could have the potential to face that we talked about last week, you know, it was the Rangers, the Mariners, the Astros, and the Blue Jays. I really didn't want to face the Astros. I was yeah. honestly hoping we'd face the Rangers because their pitching rotation is so depleted. Although apparently Max Scherzer was kind of, you know, warming up over the week and maybe he could be back. Um, Interesting. But the Blue Jays aren't like the, are, are a fine team to face. Um, yeah. You know, we played them pretty well this season overall. Um, I mean, we didn't like, you know, sweep them or anything, but um, there are some good games there for sure. And uh, their, their pitching is pretty dangerous. We'll talk about that in, in later in the episode. But overall, I don't feel terrible about who we have to face now in the playoffs. Yeah, well, this uh, weekend when it really became clear it was going to be either the Astros or the Blue Jays, there was a small chance it could have been the Rangers, but it was pretty unlikely. And so once it became down to those two, I think, Pretty much everybody would have preferred the Blue Jays, where the Blue Jays, I think, have a lot of names, but maybe ones that haven't performed as well as you would expect. Mm -hmm. uh, and along with that, too, it's just you don't have the reputation of a team like Houston that has that huge playoff success over and over and over again. You don't have maybe the awkwardness, weirdness of Carlos Correa facing his old old team. Maybe you have the opposite with Jose Barrios coming to target field. Yeah, uh, Maybe we can bring up some uh, 
old nightmares from some bad starts he's had. If, if there's anything like that we can do. So uh, yeah, I think between those two, I would have taken the Blue Jays every time. I think the Rangers would have been nice. The Twins, I think, lost two of their uh, seven or eight games yeah, that they, they played against them. against them. Yeah, and so obviously the Rangers would have been an excellent option. But at the same time, you know, those bats in the Rangers lineup are just as dangerous as everybody in Houston. So mm-hmm. um, everybody here... In the playoffs is here for a reason. There's not an easy matchup. In fact, if you're looking at all these, probably all these teams are hoping to play the Twins in the first round because comparatively, the Twins are probably that easy matchup. So, um, but the Twins are here. They did it. They did what they set out to do at the beginning of the season. They made the playoffs. They dominated the AL Central. They haven't played a meaningful game in a week because the rest of the AL Central was so bad. But again, like we said last week when we were talking about clinching and doing all of that, you have to give credit to the Twins too, where this second half they have played on a 98-win pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this last week they played the A's, they played the Angels, they played the Rockies. They're not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, but they took care of business. This game against Colorado that they lost today, if they had any interest in winning it, they probably could have if they actually, you know, put some effort towards it, but it didn't matter. And so again, this team in the second half has been playing championship level baseball. You have your frontline starting pitchers and Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray. It sounds maybe most likely like Royce Lewis is going to be playing on Tuesday. And so as far as the outlook for the team starting Tuesday, I think it's about as good as it could be, all things considered. Yeah, feel I feel pretty good about where the team's at. Um, we'll talk about rosters later in the pod, of course. But um, in terms of injuries, you know, the, maybe a little scare was Jorge Polanco kind of feeling something in his foot, but you know, he seemed fine. The Twins were like, "Yeah, that's you know, take two days of rest. Don't don't overwork yeah. yourself." And it sounds like he'll be ready as well. Yeah, it sounded, it sounded like it was something fairly minor, but again, in these last games, just abundance of caution, anything like that, you pull a guy and you just uh, leave it ready to go. Obviously, we won't know the final stuff on the roster until pretty much the last minute the Twins can, because they're going to be waiting to get final updates on Lewis, Buxton, and Correa, making sure they're all ready to go if they can. Um, so we won't know that, but we still have a pretty good sense of what it's going to look like and a good sense of where those guys are at. So, you know, we'll kind of proceed forward with that podcast uh, with those understandings. Um, But before we get into that, let's do a quick recap of last week. We're going to do it a little bit different than usual. Um, Rather than our usual game by game recap, we're going to look at this more from a playoff perspective, uh, looking at guys like Chris Paddock, Brock Stewart, who are just fresh off of the IL and how they could contribute to the playoff roster. Um, And if, you know, Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, how they were looking in their final tune-ups. And we'll go from there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's let's start with Chris Paddock. Yeah, uh, my arch nemesis, uh, Chris (laughs) Paddock. That's right. Um, 
yeah, so obviously he had that funny kind of zero inning appearance in in that last game of the Angels series where you know he came out to pitch, got to the mound, and then the rain delay happened. So uh, he technically had three outings this season, but really only two of them where he's actually pitched, and we've been able to see him deal uh, face major league. Uh, bats, although you might be remiss to wonder whether Oakland and the Rockies really provide any major league bats. But uh, needless to say, it was good to see him at least out there. Maybe just a reminder on who Chris Paddock uh, was in terms of a pitcher. Um, Obviously, last year, uh, pitched a couple outings and then got Tommy John. Um, so really the, the real, the first season we can look at for his stats or most recent season, we look at his stats is 2021. Of course he had a 5.07 ERA. That's what I always harp on Uh 1.26 whip really poor striker, right? Only 21.6%, but he wasn't walking guys, uh, 4.8%, which is pretty decent. So he's not, at least not giving up any free passes. Um, you know, his main offerings were his fastball, which he used 61% of the time, which is, you know, a lot. Um, and it wasn't very good. So even though it averaged 95 miles an hour, uh, he, he got some strikes with it. It also had a thir- 314 average against and a 357 BABIP. So um, that's just not good, especially when you're in San Diego, which is one of the most pitcher friendly parks. Um, just giving up that much, uh, that much, that many hits on one single pitch that you use 61% of the time just isn't very good. His main secondary is the changeup. It's pretty decent with pitch, but um, it also had poor metrics, 234 average against, 283 Woba against as well. Um, and he does does have a curveball that he basically used to steal strikes early in the count, but he rarely uses it to get, you know, count uh, whips in the um, at the end of the at the end of the count to get a finish out a strikeout. So that's just Chris Paddock, mostly fastball changeup with a little bit of curveball. Yeah. instead. I think if you're looking at uh, a comparison, he's fairly similar to Bailey Ober um, mm-hmm. and very similar to Ober in that it's very location based, especially yeah. as a starter. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about how he's a little different as a reliever in this role, but especially as a starter, you know, if, if we've seen it with Ober before, if you're not hitting your spots, it's not going to be an effective starter. Or you see it today, like against Colorado, and he's what perfect through 11 or 12 guys, something mm-hmm. like that today, and just kind of had everything rolling, even in Colorado. And so, um, he was very dependent on that. And I think whenever he moves back to being a starter, uh, you'll see that velocity dip back down and you'll really see that. But as a reliever, he's looked a little bit better. Yeah. Um, over at Pitcherless, like we call this the Blake Snell bl- blueprint, which basically is just heaters up and secondaries down. And that's kind of how Blake Snell is has been a, such a dominant pitcher is that he throws his heaters up to set up his secondaries down low in the zone. And that allows him to really control the strike zone against um against opposing batters. So yeah, that's definitely something to be aware for Paddock. Obviously as a reliever, it's a little less important where your location is because you're only out there for, you know, maybe 20, 25 pitches instead of like a 90 pitch sort of sequence. So it's a, it's less, uh, it's less of an impact that you only have two good pitches as a reliever. Um, But yeah, for sure. That's, that's definitely one of the big, big things about Paddock. So what did we ultimately see from him? I think in his first outing against the athletics, the big, uh, the big story here was that his fastball got to 99 miles an hour, averaged 96, which is three miles an hour above his average last year. And frankly, all his pitches saw increased velocity, which I think is, you know, what we kind of expected from Paddock. You know, when you pitch less innings, you just have more energy to work with because, you know, you don't need to go six. Um, you can, you know, be more at 90, 95 percent of your full intensity uh, with every pitch instead of being more at like 80 percent. Um, and ultimately, the outing was decent. The first inning was great. Gave up an initial hit and then had three straight strikeouts. Obviously super pumped about that. I think everyone in the clubhouse was super excited to see that Paddock was doing that well. 
course, then he came out in the second inning, not as polished. He gave up a single, then gave up a homer, uh, then walked a guy, and then a double, uh, gave up a double that uh, brought in that that runner off first base. So, you know, went from giving up, went from striking out three straight guys to giving up three straight runs. And um, not great, but then he did manage to get the next three hitters out and finish out the two innings there. So uh, at least, you know, he still was able to, you know, get that and, and, and not just pitch, you know, officially pitch one inning on the record. Um, and then in the Rockies game, like you mentioned, um, was looking real good, perfect through 11, 12 hitters, and then um, did give up one hit, uh, or sorry, give up two hits, but he struck out four of those those batters. So um, really solid. Fastball was a little bit lower, 97, average 95. But again, Colorado is just kind of a weird place for pitchers regardless. Velocity isn't always there. Your breakers aren't always there. So it was impressive to see him do well. Um, and then so kind of just looking over this whole, you know, these two appearances that he's had, obviously incredibly small sample size. He threw less pitches in those two outings combined than what he probably would in a normal start. Um, he has the, the main thing probably to notice that he's decreased the usage on the four seamer up that change up just a little bit more. And that might be a product of, frankly, in a reliever role, he's just more out to, you know, steal strikes and um, and get guys to whiff instead of trying to. Um, you know, maintain uh, yeah. a little bit more, uh, you know, endurance in a in a in a in a matchup. So maybe that's why he's about, going to change up more. Yeah, you're not worried about your pitch count, right? You're not worried about guys seeing your secondary and a second at bat, and yeah. so you're just what's going to get this guy out? Change ups. Okay, let's go there. Pretty much, yeah. It's kind of like the Griffin Jack strategy, where earlier in the season he was like, "Well, I'm just going to throw nine sliders and one fastball. Like, I <laughs> yeah. don't care if I don't mix it up here." I just need to get this guy out. And so yeah. that mentality is just a little bit different, you know, compared to being a starter. Um, and that's probably why we're seeing this a little bit evening out. But the thing is, the fastball actually looks pretty decent in terms of um, its metrics. It's better with percentage um, and the changeup is still pretty decent. So, yeah, that's probably what uh, the main thing, main takeaways from Chris Paddock this past week. Yeah, I, I think the other thing to point out here, too, is unlike Louis Varland or Brock Stewart, there's not really any chance Chris Paddock is going to be pitching in a high leverage situation, right? Right. Um, you know, maybe there's like a piggyback situation if there's a short uh, start, but he's going to be in the game in a situation where the Twins are up by five or the Twins are down by five, you know? And so when you're looking at it through that lens, it's a, are you better than Cole Sands question, not a, are you ready for the eighth inning question? Right. And so that, that I think makes it a little bit different. And just from a stuff perspective, obviously Chris Paddock stuff blows away winders. And so um, I, I think he'll be on the postseason roster most likely because again, just a guy out of the pen, you can get two, three innings of good stuff and a good, solid, reliable guy uh, versus winder. Yeah. He could come in and give you three scoreless. He could also come in and give up three home runs in a row. Mm-hmm. So a guy to keep you in the game if you're a little bit out of it, a guy to uh, keep you ahead if you're a little bit out in front. And I think that'll be a good role for him. One other thing about Paddock that's not really relevant to the playoff conversation, but I do think it's pretty likely that the Twins work with him to add another secondary pitch in the offseason. Uh, the Twins love their sweepers, and I think that could be exactly what Paddock needs. Just a, the changeup's better to get out lefties. The sweeper would be great to get out righties. And so um, just kind of like they did with Pablo, who was fastball changeup, you add in that sweeper and suddenly you can look a lot different. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with Brock Stewart, not really much to talk about here because he pitched even less than uh, than Chris Paddock, yeah. although he did have two outings, so there's that. Um, the main takeaway, 97.7 miles per hour on the fastball in the Oakland uh, outing, 96.9 miles per hour on the in the Rockies uh, outing, and I'm just going to take that to say he's healthy. Um, basically, it's 
his velocity is not down. Um, so at least as long as he's feeling good there, I think all his other pitches uh, will you know return similar uh, results. Essentially, he does have like the random like five pitch mix as a reliever, which is kind of insane. Um, but as long as he's looking healthy in terms of his fastball, I don't feel too worried about how all his other pitches were. Um, I don't know if you really want to be nitpicky. He gave up three hits in Colorado, but everyone gives up like three hits in Colorado. So yeah, uh, ultimately, yeah, Brock Stewart looking healthy, and that's all that really matters. Yeah, well, one other thing here really quick. So he actually appeared in three games because he pitched today. Oh, that's and right. so, yep. yeah, he, he only he got one out, basically finished off the uh, seventh inning for Ober when Ober couldn't quite get out of it. Um, he struck a guy out. And so that's, you know, exactly what you want Brock Stewart to do in that situation. A good chance to get him in and, uh, okay, can you guys on base, can you finish this out, get us out of this tricky spot? And then, um, you know, kind of the same thing where he pitched on the 29th and then he pitched today. So a little bit of a quicker turnaround, you know, get him back in that normal reliever schedule. And I think as long as his body responds decently to that, uh, again, he's almost guaranteed to be on the playoff roster. I think it's a little TBD what role he's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he went on the injured list, he was pretty much the Twins' second best reliever uh, behind Duran, and he technically might still be, but without that game experience. Uh, it'll be interested to see, you know, in a close game in the eighth, you know, what's kind of the order the Twins go with here? Is it Jax, Stewart, Duran? Is it Stewart, Jax, or Varland into that mix, who we should probably also talk about? He's probably been the Twins' best or second best reliever since since moving into that role. Yeah, I mean, well, the funny thing is that they're all righties too, so you you don't care about matchups in this right. in this case. So it's just kind of who who do you have more confidence in? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they went Stewart, Jacks, Duran, um, only because Stewart still hilariously only has twenty seven innings on the season. Um, yeah. Like we kind of forget like how it, he didn't he wasn't with the team early, and then had like those great couple months with the team, and then was out for another two months. Right. Right. Um, so even though his ERA is 0.66, I think, and his whip is like also just as insane in terms of low numbers. Um, it's hard to, you know, have a really good judgment on it because he's only pitched 27 innings. Yeah. It's, it's a trust factor. I think mostly for Stewart, um, again, at this point, you're not saving him for anything. So if he gets a little banged up in the process, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. But Louis Varland, I want to talk about him really quick before we move on to the starting pitchers, because he has just been excellent. We talked last week about that cutter that has been absolutely filthy since uh, he talked about how he went down to the minors. He kind of tinkered with it a little bit as a starter, and then it's playing up even better as a reliever. And so, um, since his return, he's pitched uh, 12 innings, I think, and he's given up two runs, two solo shots, and that's it. Um, And so, Again, just in terms of the raw stuff, he's just taken the next step. His fastball is 98, 99. That cutter's 91, 92, and nobody can hit it. And uh, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if we see Varland in that role. But again, it comes down to the trust factor of this is something new for him. He's only been a reliever for all of a month, probably in his entire professional baseball career. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think a, go- a good situation here is, yeah, Jax has typically been the eighth inning guy, but he's so reliant on that sweeper. If you have a lefty or two lefties in that group, sweepers historically awful uh, against lefties. Do you go with Varland in the cutter instead? And I don't know. That's something we'll see as we go. Uh, but the twins are in just a very good position, especially compared to where they were at the trade deadline, for example, where they still have Jax, they still have Duran, and now Varland, Stewart, Paddock on top of Pagan, who's been good, Thielbar, who's been good. Thunderbird, who we'll talk about in a second. Uh, a lot of good options here, just maybe only one great option. Yeah, and that's, uh, well, I mean, that's obviously Duran, but um, 
the the funny thing here, I think, with Varland and his outings is actually if you take out his one appearance against the Mets, where he you know gave up two earned runs in that one, um, he hasn't had a, another outing where he's given up a run, um, right? Which is incredibly impressive. Um, and like you said, the stuff plays super well. It's the velocity's high, but that cutter also looks real good. Um, and I mean, those are the two pitches he's been mainly relying on. He's you know tossing a changeup and a sinker here occasionally. Um, you know, even tossing a slider sometimes, but yeah, the, the fastball cutter mix is really working for him right now. And like you said, it allows him to be a bit more flexible to, to be able to go, um, against different, uh, handed guys than, right. you know, let's just say Jax, right. Who can occasionally get the backdoor slider to work, but, um, most of the time he's, he's really better as a righty righty specialist. Yeah. And in terms of like just strengths of the twins, the Blue Jays are probably a good matchup because they don't have those really dangerous left-handed bats. They're still left-handed bats. They're going to be in the lineup, but they're yep. big guys, Bichette, uh, Vlad Jr., and Springer. They're all righties. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when you're coming up in that big spot, the Twins are pretty well set off versus if it's Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Well, Caleb Thielbar, how many times can you get them out in a series? You know, that that's going to be a tough ask from him. So I think in terms of just that matchup, as far as bullpen bullpens go, the Blue Jays are a better choice, but... Um, yeah, the, the twins also have a lot of flexibility here where we've seen Varland go multiple innings, Paddock, obviously multiple innings. Maeda is going to be pitching out of the, uh, bullpen in kind of a longer role. And so there's a lot of options here. If there's a short start or if they only want Joe Ryan to go through the lineup once, there's lots of ways they can piece this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be very interesting because the playoffs are just a completely different animal from the regular season, right? Uh, in the playoffs, if Joe Ryan or in the regular season, if Joe Ryan gives up two runs over three innings, he's still going to be out there. If in the playoffs, they might pull him. And so it's uh, it's hard to see what's going to happen, but having that flexibility is the most important thing at this point. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's talk about those starters because obviously they're the ones who ultimately affect the the bullpen usage. Um, starting with Pablo Lopez, uh, he was the la- uh, second to he was the middle game in the Athletic series. Uh, went four point one innings with five hits and three earned runs. Um, not super pretty. But the main issue there was just kind of his fastball wasn't able to get any whips on it. But the Twins also limited him to 77 pitches um, or else the metrics might have looked a little bit better. He probably could have gotten a quality start on it if they if the Twins had, you know, let him stay in. Um, but, yeah, not like the best like, oh, that was a great line to finish out the regular season. But um, all being said, he's healthy and that's all that really matters. And the Twins did officially announce him as the game one starter. Game two starter is going to be Sonny Gray. Um, he looked great. Uh, of course, the Twins. Uh, bats didn't look great, which just is the funny thing about this entire year that they can't give Sonny Gray any run support. Nothing truly special about the start. They pulled him after 55 pitches. The main thing here, though, was that Kenta Maeda piggybacked off him, went through for one innings with two walks and five strikeouts in 62 pitches. So I guess the irony there was that Kenta actually pitched more than Sonny in his start. Um, Velocities didn't change much, but he was effective with sliders and splitters. Um, you know, and the big thing here, I think, is that they didn't limit him to one inning. So they're clearly like kind of in the middle where like we might use him as a piggyback. We might use him as like a starter in the ALDS if it really gets to that point. Um, in all likelihood, though, I think ultimately he's still going to be the piggyback option just because Dallas Keuchel's now on the IL. And he was really the only other option to be like a piggybacks, uh, piggyback reliever sort of person. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's 
something that we'll see what the Twins do. But I don't know. What, what do you think Kenta Maeda's role is going to look like for, for the playoffs? Before I get into Kenta, I would just like to say in regards to Dallas Keuchel, uh, thank you for your service. You got your 10 years of service time. Uh, you got your pension that's going to vest in whatever, however many years. Uh, he will not be pitching a major league game again. And so uh, there, there, I don't think there's any situation where the Twins were going to have him on the playoff roster. I think they would have gone to Josh Winder or Cole Sands or sure. Simeon Woods Richardson over uh, Keuchel, frankly, before it got to that point. But as far as Kenta Maeda goes, um, he, I think, they're, again, same thing. They're keeping their options open. Uh, at least they were when he appeared in this game. After Ober's start today, I think Ober is pretty solidly a game four starter if they get yeah. to that point. Mm-hmm. Now where it could change is if they get to the ALDS and Joe Ryan just really doesn't look good mm-hmm. in a potential game three or a game one of the ALDS if they feel like they need to uh, go a different route. That's where I think Kenta could play into the starting mix. But as long as Joe Ryan looks good, I think Bailey Ober is pretty clearly the fourth guy if the Twins need it. Right. Yeah, the weird thing... I don't know how it would play out in terms of rest, right? But it could be like if Joe Ryan has a if let's just say the wild card series goes three, yeah, the wins the Twins manage to somehow win the the series there, um, but Joe Ryan doesn't look great, right? Then the question is, do you keep Joe Ryan in as probably what your game four starter in the ALDS, yeah, um, or do you switch him out for for Kenta? Um, yeah. Which I, again, that, that's. This is assuming that the Twins even win two playoff games. So, right. like, let's, it's 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 also like an incredible thing to think about. But, yeah. um, I think Kenta's on the playoff roster for sure. I'm just yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll yeah, speak he'll he'll be on the roster. Yeah. I think uh, th- there's so many what ifs that go into his Completely. role, right? Because it, if Pablo Lopez, for whatever reason, only can go one inning on uh, Monday. Well, now Kenta Maeda is probably pitching in that game, and yep. that completely changes things, right? right? And so if Joe Ryan, if in that game three, Joe Ryan just looks terrible through two innings, they bring in Kenta, and then um, they come back and win, well, then maybe Kenta's just starting that next game. That would be Joe Ryan's turn. And so with him, there's so many different things that could happen. And mm-hmm. so same thing with Ober. Um, if they make it to the ALDS I think all five of those guys are going to be on the roster. Uh, what their specific roles are is just going to pe- depend so strongly on these three games and what happens there. Right. So uh, moving on to Joe Ryan, then I think it was just a little unfortunate that his last start had to be in Colorado. And so we just couldn't get like a good read on yeah. him, especially because on Sunday's game against the angels, again, he went set, he went six innings with 10 strikeouts, right? So basically one of the best performances of his um, of his season so far uh, in, you know, in that, that sort of uh, game. But of course, then his first games in, in Colorado, uh, he has, he's had some home run problems the entire season. So he, you know, gave up several home runs in this one, right? Three of them to be exact. Um, so not a great start, but I think because it's in Colorado, he's even more dependent on his fastball because it's like, if you already have like, kind of let's just say like an average secondary right uh in his splitter that joe ryan has like it's just not going to play well in colorado at all so he went very fastball heavy in this one um and it looked decent but you know at at the end of the day it sucked because it's you can't really evaluate him that well yeah um i i think that there's a chance that if the twins could take it back they would maybe try to line Bailey Ober up to be a potential option for a game three mm-hmm. rather than having him start this final game. Uh, but it is what it is. And so as it stands, Joe Ryan is definitely going to be out there for that third game. Um, if they somehow get through in two, I, again, wouldn't be surprised if they go with Ober instead of Ryan because he's just so up and down where the stuff, he's still getting strikeouts, the stri- the fastball is still looking good. But 
he's kind of reverted his last few starts back to a one and a half pitch pitcher, which I don't know if that's going to work in the playoffs. Yeah. The, the splitter is like hit or miss. And that's really unfortunate that he's kind of lost the touch on that just a tiny bit. Um, yeah. It's still okay. It's just like, it just doesn't support his fastball that well. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess speaking of it, Bailey Ober, he was lights out in his two starts this week. Uh, went up against the A's going five shutout innings with eight strikeouts in that one. And then uh, in the Rocky series, he went 6.2 innings with one earned run and nine strikeouts. Uh, more impressively, his fastball got 14 whiffs. Um, so clearly he's kind of he's feeling good. And um, I think it was it was OK that the Twins, you know, sent him to Triple A just to get like, you know, skip a start, get some extra rest so that you're ready for when, you know, playoffs come around. And I think it's, you know, starting to pay off a little bit. And, he, and he's looking like he's um, kind of back at the over that we saw uh, a little bit earlier in the season. Yeah, I, I think he deserves a big uh, shout out for his performance this year. I think coming into the season before the Twins made their pitching additions, he's like, oh, I'm a lock to be opening day rotation. He wasn't. He had to spend a month in AAA before he made his way up. And, you know, he's talked about how that was hard on him, how he was expecting one thing, he got another, and then he came back and had, you know, maybe not pure numbers-wise the best season of his career, but if you combine that with the amount of innings he pitched over previous innings, and it's just pretty incredible, right? He uh, threw 137 innings. He had a 3.53 ERA, uh, 2.7 WAR in those games, pretty much surpassing what he had in his career up until that point. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, big shout out to him. He battled through some of that, you know, roster uncertainty and figuring it out. Uh, I know he also wasn't thrilled with being sent down um, a few weeks ago to skip that start and yeah. just not being able to be around the team. And so, um, yeah, man, Ober has just been solid and reliable the whole way through. He's not an ace. He's never going to be an ace, but you need those types of guys in the back end of your rotation to give you a good start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with the bats, again, there's not really much to talk about here, especially because they spent three days in Colorado and we're just like decided to have a uh, home run party for the first two games. So, um, you know, at least they look healthy and they're, you know, jacking the ball over, over the fence. But um, the main thing here was maybe Jorge Polanco, like getting a little hurt. So the twins ended up resting him for the last two games. Um, Kyle Farmer and Polanco got to be co-managers for one of those games, which was yeah, kind of hilarious. Very funny. Um, and yeah, really not much else to talk about. Karloff looks good. Walner looks good. Uh, Julian got a homer in Colorado, which is, you know, good to see. He at least doesn't look too bad with the hamstring injury like he's still obviously not going to be a super speedster but he was at least you know they were still using him at second base in defense so they feel okay about him there Uh, they're not just going to relegate him to you know first base duties so um yeah that's overall look good and it'll be interesting to see what the team looks like uh when they bring back correa then potentially lewis and and maybe maybe buxton yeah let's uh Let's talk about a few little stats here before we kind of wrap up with the offense. Cause yep. like you were saying, a lot of it doesn't really matter, but uh, it's still kind of fun to look at this and see what's going on. So Trevor Larnick, let's give him a shout out. He's pretty much been starting down the stretch here, filling in for guys. He's most likely not going to make the playoff roster, but I think he's at least uh, solidified himself as an option for a uh, you know, fill in if somebody gets hurt or maybe a bench bat if Buxton can't go. Uh, if nothing else, I think he's proven that he's not just going to get traded off the roster and he has a chance to fill a role in the team. Anyway, since he came back up for this last week, it's seven games. It's not a ton, but he has a 944 OPS. He hit a couple home runs. He took a few walks. Uh, the big thing for him is always going to be contact or striking out, and he only struck out twice in 
his entire time since he was called back up. So uh, for Larnick, that's like a pretty much miracle. So shout out to him for taking advantage of the opportunity when he had it. Again, he shouldn't have a huge role down the stretch here outside of maybe uh, an injury and he has to fill in, but still interesting. Uh, one other thing here is just something I found while I was doing some prep for the playoffs. Uh, Edward Julian has some pretty extreme splits when he's playing second base versus when he's DHing. Hmm. Uh, if you had to guess, which direction do you think is going to be his good hitting direction? Or hitting position, DH or second base? Oh. Um, for the memes, I'm going to say second base. That is 100% accurate. As a second baseman, uh, and this is as a second baseman specifically in the second half, okay. uh, he has an 861 OPS and a 26% strikeout rate. Uh, at DH, it's 694 with a 36% strikeout rate, which is a Joey Gallo-esque number. Gotcha. So uh, you know, 26 is still not great, but much better than 36. You want to know the insane thing about Julian, though? So he had 63 walks this season in 403 plate appearances or you know 108 games, basically. That means that if you extrapolate it out to like a 162 game season, there's like a potential that he could have gone to a hundred walks like again. Yeah. He has like um, Juan Soto level plate discipline. Like it's actually, very impressive. If you add up his triple A numbers this season, he's at 95 walks. Yeah. He had 98 the year before and then 110 the year before in, in a single A and high A. And so I think like all the kind of knocking on, Ju- I wouldn't say knocking on Julian. I think all the skepticism that he'd be able to maintain that high on base percentage in the majors, like he's completely blown away all of those concerns um, that like he's still getting a lot of walks, uh, which yeah. I think is impressive. The strikeout numbers have gone up just a little bit, but yeah. um, overall, just really impressive for him to see the discipline at the major league level. And yeah, I think we we basically have our leadoff hitter for the next five years. Right. Yeah. No, looking at the minor league numbers, that was the big thing with pretty much any prospect coming up when they have those huge on base numbers uh, and maybe not the batting average to back it up. It's always like, oh, they're just being too passive, right? Just minor league pitchers aren't as good as major league pitchers. So they know they're not going to throw as many strikes. That's not going to maintain. But for Julian, it has. Yeah. Uh, the biggest issue for him has been his whiff rate, right? He's swiping, uh, he's swinging through a lot of stuff, leading to a lot of strikeouts. And then right. he's just been a little passive too. And so that's always the other concern is will that maintain? But he's gotten a little more aggressive, right? He's not taking so many pitches right down the middle mm-hmm. and so he, he's adjusted which has been good and i think going forward you'll see more of that but like another good example of this is one of the twins top prospects emmanuel rodriguez uh, another guy with really good on base numbers not a great batting average and so there's a lot of concern for his long-term projection he strikes out he doesn't get a lot of hits but he takes a lot of walks well once you're fang, facing a higher level competition guys that just are able to throw more strikes uh what what does that look like and so there's a lot of questions about him julian had those same things and he's answered them and like you said He's the leadoff hitter for the foreseeable future. So, yeah. Uh, and to his credit, he hasn't committed an error at second base since July, I think. Hmm. And so, granted, there's been tons of DH games in there, right? Pretty much since Buxton's been down, they've been rotating that DH through him and Polanco and then Lewis when Lewis has been healthy. Yeah. Most of the times defaulting to Julian since he's the defensive weak link. But still, he's looked better just from the eye test. I feel like he's not had so many of those throws that are way offline because what's been more of the issue for him is he's gotten to most of the balls, but it's just making the on-target throws. And he's mm-hmm. looked a lot better in that role, which is good because – uh our next update here, which is going to be the weekly health segment and the one that matters the most now that we're at the playoffs. So let's start with the big one, which is Royce Lewis. Ironically, not Carlos Correa or Byron Buxton. Royce Lewis is probably the biggest uh, get bat you want to get back here. Yeah. Um, but he had that hamstring injury, which they called a grade one plus strain, which was anywhere from two weeks to two months. 
And luckily, Royce Lewis's super healing has been answered one, once again. And according to the Twins beat reporters, they're saying it's more likely than not that he's on the roster. It's just a matter of is he going to DH or play third base? And the concern, of course, being at third base is slow grounders, bunts. Can he really fully charge full speed and get to those? Uh, but the fact that he's most likely on the roster and will be the DH is a huge boost for the Twins offense because mm-hmm. that's the guy that gets the big hits every single time when you need him. Yeah, I I don't really have too much to add on Royce um, other than the fact that he had a simulated game and then hit a homer in it because, of course, he did. Um, <laughs> With so, simulated bases loaded, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even as a DH, like he's going to be huge for this team. Yeah. Um, just getting his bat back, I think, will be key. Um, and then, yeah, if he doesn't play third base, like in terms of the defensive options there, I mean, it's like probably going to be what Willie Castro. Who, it's probably going to be Jorge Polanco. Or yeah, Jorge second. Polanco. That's right. It's yeah, the most likely one. Um, so it's not going to be going to be a downgrade. If anything, it's probably a little bit of an upgrade in defense if he doesn't uh, play third base. But uh, that all being said. Um, it, 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 it does feel kind of weird that it's like he's kind of the crucial guy for the Twins to get back. Not saying that Correa isn't crucial. I think Correa is going to be invaluable uh, in the playoffs. Uh, but in terms of like bad production, um, having Royce back will be huge for sure. Yeah. Uh, assuming that uh, Royce can DH, uh, I think, like I said, Polanco at third, Julian at second is the most likely because you want all three of those bats in the lineup. And then probably when you get to the end of the game, you sub Julian out for Farmer, you put Farmer at third, you put uh, Polanco at second, and that's what you ride out for the last, you know, however many innings. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you've seen Rocco do over and over again when, uh, you know, that was kind of the alignment of uh, Royce at DH getting a DH game. And so I think that's most likely what we're going to see. But Willie Castro is the other uh, factor here where he's been one of their best hitters in September. He's been playing very, very well, uh, but I think he's much more likely to start in center field than third base at this point, because if you have him start at third base, that means one of Polanco or Julian aren't going to be in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And I think you want uh, both of those guys in the lineup over, say, Michael A. Taylor's defense in center field. Yeah. Um, definitely some interesting defensive situations there, but ultimately it's at least nice that we don't have like a black hole on defense yeah. anymore. <laughs> I mean, there's no black holes on defense. Frankly, there's no ba- black holes on offense, right? Yeah. Like the worst, the worst hitter is, uh, well, Christian Vasquez, but I'm assuming Ryan Jeffers is going to start at least two of these games, if not all three. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, your, your worst hitter really in the lineup at that point is Michael A. Taylor, who has a career high in home runs. Now he's not bringing a lot outside of, uh, the home runs and a, you know, lucky single here and there, but mm-hmm. still it's much better than, you know, a lot of the lineups you're running out the last two years for the twins. Yeah. With, uh, recently DFA'd Hilberto Celestino front and center. Yeah, rest in peace. Well, he's not dead, but you know, rest in peace to his twins career a little bit. I don't know. Quick sidetrack where um, this, sorry, this isn't necessarily Celestino's fault. He was a fine prospect. He just got screwed over by the twins injuries. He was oh, forced into action yeah. too early. He's a guy where it's like, if he was willing to come back on a minor league deal, I think both he and the twins would be thrilled. Yeah, that, I, so. I agree. Well, and I think, I think that's probably what's going to end up happening because I'd yeah. be surprised if another team was like, Hey, we liked what you did in like two years and change in the majors when you batted like 180 um, and repeatedly ran into easy outs on the base paths. Yeah. Yeah. Do you <laughs> want to be on our 40 man roster? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's not going to, he's out of options. He wasn't going to be on the roster next year anyway. So it's an easy move, but anyway, sidetrack about my Hilberto Celestino corner yeah. um, back to the playoffs. Carlos Correa. Uh, he wasn't activated for the Colorado series. Uh, there was kind of some debate. I think he's going to be eligible to be activated uh, yes. activated on like the Saturday. He yep. have gotten in two games of work. I think the Twins just didn't want him to travel. Just let him get the rest. And, uh, you know, he's playing in those simulated games. He's getting plenty of work. And mm-hmm. 
that honestly facing those guys in Minneapolis might be better than facing the Colorado pitchers anyway. It might be a better real game action. Yeah. I honestly, honestly, I'm okay with this. Like it just, it, and plus like you're in Colorado, like it's just, you don't want to deal with the altitude. Just stay in Minnesota, get healthy, get your rest. Um, there's still, you know, I mean, the AAA season is done. So there was all those guys who, you know, could potentially, you know, come over and, and help him, you know, get some, get some reps in. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and since the twins are in the playoffs, you know, like anybody who's has any level of potentially being added to the playoff roster, uh, they're going to be in Minneapolis in the twin city for in the twin cities, frankly, maybe in the twins dugout during the games, Mm -hmm. uh, because, Again, the minor league season is done, but they can't go home if injuries pop up. The Twins are going to need those guys, so they need them working out, ready to go, uh, facing, pitching, you know. And so uh, just a little interesting caveat there. But Correa, I, I'm like 99% confident he's going to be on the roster. Yeah. From everything he said, from everything the Twins have said, uh, you know, he'll he'll be there. Who knows how effective he'll be? Uh, who, he wasn't that effective beforehand, but he's one of the best playoff hitters in MLB history. Now, can he do that with a foot that – he said felt like was stabbing him every time he took a step. Yeah. I don't know, but still I, I'll take her Carlos Correa over Kyle Farmer at shortstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into uh, Byron Buxton, which is probably the biggest real question the twins have where we have absolutely no sense of what's going on with Buck for the most part. Yeah. We have no sense of if he's going to be on the roster, if he is on the roster, what role he would play on the roster. Uh, so according to the athletic, Derek Falvey said that the twins are going with most likely a 14, 12 split of bats to pitchers. Uh, it seems like if they do that, unlike maybe the um, 11 pitchers that we talked about when we were talking about it before, mm-hmm. uh, Byron Buxton could be the odd man out just because maybe you want Stevenson as a late game pinch runner. Maybe you want, um, you know, Trevor Larnick, like we talked about before against the righty over Buxton. Just, we, we just don't know what, you could get out of Buxton at all if he's on the roster. I don't really think there's a scenario right now if Royce Lewis has to DH where Byron Buxton is starting because you would rather have Lewis than Buxton in that role. And so if he's on the roster, it seems more likely like he'd be a pinch hitter, maybe a pinch runner, but if he still can't play in the outfield, again, what's the real value that he can have? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. John, what are your thoughts about Buck and where things are at? Yeah, I mean, probably the the biggest issue is can he run, right? Yeah. If he can run, then he can be a defensive replacement or he can be a pinch runner, right? Uh, That allows you to maybe put him in place of Andrew Stevenson, maybe. Uh, But if he can't run, then he's just a DH. And then if Royce is going to be DHing, it's like, when is is Buck ever going to get into a game, right? Like, it just makes no sense. We talked about this last week. Even if it's the matchup where you want like a righty facing a lefty pitcher, you put in Buck to to hit. He has to immediately get subbed out for a defensive replacement. Yeah, which, you have to use two roster moves for one pinch hitting. Appearance. Exactly, and if you're only bringing fourteen guys, like that's gonna that's gonna eat into yeah. your ability to you know go to your bench later in the game too. So, yeah, I I mean. It, Hearing this whole fourteen twelve thing, like basically, kind of seems like they're not expecting Buxton to be ready, and he, he didn't exactly look super great in his outings in St. Paul. Um, you know, he did play basically one and a half games in the outfield, and when I I was there at his game, actually, when he played in the outfield for the first one, and he looked fine. I mean, it yeah. didn't look like he was like in massive pain, but um, obviously for him, he's he's managed he's been managing this this entire season, so. Um, 
you know, he's well aware of what his body can handle. And if I don't, if I honestly, if I don't think he can run, if he feels like he can't run at like, let's just say 80% of what, you know, he's capable of um, for an entire nine inning game, I just don't see him on, on the roster at least. For the first I mean, but the, the other thing too, of course, is if he can, eighty percent speed for Byron Buxton is still better than probably ninety percent of major league baseball players, right? right. He's yeah. he's extremely fast. Even this year, while he's been hurt, he's still been in like the ninetieth percentile in sprint speed. And so, I mean, he's, he's know, gotten plenty of steals actually, which is impressive. Yeah, he, he has the highest stolen base success rate in MLB history. Period. Yeah. Right. And so, granted, he doesn't do it all that often. Maybe he would have this year more with the new rules and if he's healthier, but. Um, you know, he can get you that base guaranteed. Andrew Stevenson can also get you that base, but he's not going to bring you anything on offense. The only scenario where Andrew Stevenson is taking a competitive at bat in this game is if, um, you know, he came in as a defensive replacement, went into extra innings and it came back around to him. Right. And so, yeah. um, that's kind of like the trade-off that you're thinking here. I think Stevenson is probably the main guy who would be left off if Buxton is added. And the other thing for Buxton might be, you know, if you're looking at a specific situation against, uh, the Blue Jays. Uh, John, do you know if the Blue Jays have any like good lefty relievers off the top of your head? I don't have that in front of me. Uh, Tim Meza and Hennessy Cabrera, I believe, are their two okay. lefty guys. Um, Neither of which is great. But neither still, of which is great. It's a lefty. Yeah, Meza like looked kind of okay. He was like um, maybe like their second best setup man for a little bit of the season, um, but then kind of dropped off in that role. And then uh, Hennessy Cabrera has had some you know decent outings, but he's not like. Uh, a world beater, or anything. Just looking. Yeah, his biggest thing is throwing strikes. Yeah, you know, nine point two two K, caper uh, nine, a three point nine five ERA. Uh, what's his WHIP? One point three zero. So again, not not very good numbers overall. Yeah, but um, he got DFA'd yeah. by the Cardinals earlier this year. Right? Exactly. And so the Cardinals that, aren't exactly brimming with talent, at it, the moment, yeah. especially <laughs> on the pitching side. Yep. So um, yeah, in terms of lefty relievers, not really a lot of uh, great options for um, so for the Jays. Given where I kind of understand where Buxton is at, again, if I know anything, and this could drastically change over the next two days before the playoff starts, but the real role for Byron Buxton would be the Blue Jays bring in one of those guys to face Matt Walner or Alex Kirilov or Edward Julian, Mm -hmm. all three of which have hit under 200 against lefties this year, right? Uh, Kepler's been a little bit better. Uh, but those three especially are the ones where you really don't want them facing lefty, especially in a big spot. Well, off the bench, you have Solano, who uh, hits lefties well. You have Farmer, who hits lefties well. So really, you're saying if this happens a third time, right, if you've already subbed out Kirloff, you've already subbed out Julian, and now they're doing it again for Walner, Mm -hmm. that's where you would really bring in Buxton. Um, You know, the chances of you getting to that point with two lefty relievers I think are pretty small, especially given that Julian, Kirloff, Walner tend to be a little bit spread out with where they are in the batting order. Julian usually leading off, Kirloff usually hitting in that three to five range and Mm -hmm. Walner more around the seven. And so I think just looking at it logistically, the chances that you would like really, really need Buxton in that role are pretty small. And then if he does come in, maybe you don't even have him play center field. It's can you stand in left field for the last two innings of the game? Mm -hmm. And again, there's a lot of questions here, but if he can't even do that, I think it's really, really hard to justify having him. Yeah. And like you said, it the odds that you have two left relievers in spots where you need a hit, right? Like yeah. they with the with the Jays, like they're probably not setting out their lefty reliever in the eighth or ninth inning. It's probably going to be the sixth. And so it's like, yeah. are you willing to make that change knowing that there's still going to be at least three innings in the game, right? Left. And like you said, if Buck can't stand out and left for two innings, it's like this feels like the 
the worst possible scenario, more or less, yeah. is a, to have him out there um, in the field, not feeling, let's just no. say, 80%, right? We'll be generous. Like, I, I don't think he's going to be spelled 100% generous. this entire season. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, do you want that? Potentially, do you want a season hinging on that, right? Yeah. And that, that's. But, but at the same time, it's Byron Buxton. Like, he, he's That's electric. True. He's had some of the biggest hits yeah. uh, while he's been a member of the Twins, right? He's come up with those walk big walk-off home runs over and over again. And so, again, this is the debate the Twins have to have. And I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision, but I think I, yeah. I could really see either way. If they were going to take 15 position players, I think it would make sense to take him even Completely. if you say yep. 65%. But at 14, I think you really have to draw a line and say – Andrew Stevenson has a role that would better fill this than Byron Buxton right now. Right. And then again, then, then you could probably debate the question. Do you really need 12 pitchers on this team? For you do three game series. You, you absolutely, I frankly don't even think you need 11. Um, yeah. If, you know, especially with the guys that we talked about before that you can get multiple innings. And so yeah. if there's something that goes completely haywire, you're covered four times over between Maeda, uh, Varland, Paddock, Pagan could go multiple innings, you know? And yeah. so, I mean, again, I think the question is who, I mean, let's just run through it. Who who would be those 12 pitchers, right? So your starters are obviously Pablo, Sonny, Joe Ryan, right? Those three are definitely on the team. You probably leave Bailey over off. Yeah. Uh, because I, you, I don't think you don't want him relieving. Roster. You have Kenta on there, right? So that's yep, four. That's four. All right. So then obviously you have Duran, you have Jax, you have Fieldbar, you have Stewart, you have Pagan, right? So that's nine. nine right there. Yep. Um, Louis Varland's probably making the team. Louis that's Varland's 10. definitely making it. That's 10. And so the one other guy is Paddock. Is it Paddock? Yeah. And then, you know, Funderburg just went, what, one inning, three strikeouts, I think, or two strikeouts? It, yeah. It, in the Colorado game? Yeah. It's like, and then, you know, I mean, we'll talk about this when we talk about the Jays. Do you need a lefty reliever in that series, right? Yeah. And, and so that's the know. thing, right? Most likely, I think if they're taking 12, Funderburg's making it. But yes. again, I, you don't need Funderburk in this series. There, there's really no reason uh, unless because you already have Fieldbar, right? Yeah, you, ha- you have Fieldbar, and they have so few good hitting lefties that I'm okay having Pagan face Brandon Belt instead of Cody Funderburk, right? You yeah, know, I- I'm not super worried about that. Same thing with Dalton Varsho, and so Kevin uh, Biggio, uh, Santiago Espinal. Those are those are the guys we're talking about here, right? They're not. In the playoffs, anything can happen, and those guys can beat you. And maybe you just really, really want to have that lefty-lefty matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think there is some val- validation for that, of not just having the one lefty uh, in the in the bullpen. Yeah, but again, more options for sure. But again, in a three-game series, you're going to use nine, maybe ten pitchers because if the games are close, Duran is pitching in every single one of those games. Yep. Jax is pitching in every single one of those games. Probably even Pagan is pitching in every single one of those games. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, you can mix, mix and match. And so... I, I don't know. I, I don't really get the logic, but I don't run a baseball team. So, yeah. I mean, plus all of those guys that we just mentioned, other than uh, Funderburk and then um, Stewart, all those last pitched on Saturday. So they're going to be on two days rest when game one comes around. Stewart pitched today, but he only pitched eight. In it, uh, sorry, not eight pitches. How many did he throw? He pitched five. So let's be honest. He, he, he basically didn't pitch today. Um, so he'll have one day of rest, but he he's really going to be kind of one and a half days of rest come yeah. uh, come Tuesday. So it just it doesn't feel like Funderburk is needed on the team. Um, but I, like you said, I could see why I could see yeah. why they do it. 
Um, one, one other note from today's game against the Rockies. I did not like that Ryan Jeffers was starting mm. uh, because I don't know if that means that Christian Vasquez is going to start game one, but if Christian Vasquez starts game one, uh, I, I, there's, I think that's mismanagement. Um, Vasquez has been a terrible hitter all year. Yeah, sure, maybe he's a good uh, catcher defensively. Maybe he's good at calling pitches. I'm personally not a big fan of how he seems to be calling games, whether it's him or the guys that are pitching that are making the calls with the pitch comp. But uh, Pablo Lopez has a better ERA with Jeffers. Uh, Sonny is about an even split. Joe Ryan has a better ERA with Jeffers. So to me, that just seems like a very logical Jeffers, Vasquez, Jeffers, if you play all three games, right? And so mm. um, maybe it's nothing. Maybe, you know, it's just normal for Jeffers, right? He's going to go today. He's going to get Monday off and he's going to go again on Tuesday. But if Jeffers isn't starting that game, uh, if that's what this was spelling out, not a big fan of that. Yeah. I mean, part of it too was, um, eh, sorry, part of it too was the fact that I think Jeffers maybe could have used a little more. I don't don't know if they were like, oh, you should get a little bit more work in. I mean, Vasquez caught on, um, on Saturday. So maybe they're just alternating back and forth. Um, it really would be weird though if they if if Vasquez got two starts. Um, it's clearly Jeffers is the better hitter. Yeah, um, I would say defensively at this point, I think Vasquez has taken a bit of a step back. Uh, Jeffers has taken a pretty big step forward, especially with uh, base running uh, and defending stolen bases. And so Jeffers is leaps and bounds the better hitter. Jeffers should be starting two of those games. And I get if you you know he can't go all three, but if there was a chance for him to go all three, this would be it, right? It's the playoffs. So right. um, we'll, we'll see what happens. A lot to be determined. Uh, the last roster note here before we kind of analyze the Blue Jays a little more specifically, uh, Dylan Floro got DFA'd. Uh, what, what was that roster move that he got DFA'd for? Was it Paddock coming back? I believe it was. Uh, or maybe Stewart. It no, was either it was, Paddock it or was Stewart. Stewart coming back because uh, D- Floro got DFA'd like late last week. Yeah, that's right. So Floro got DFA'd. It was Stewart uh, coming back. Stewart was on the 60-day IL, and so they had to make a roster spot. Floro just was not that good with the Twins. I think it was pretty unlikely he was going to make the playoff roster anyway. And so, uh, yeah, Floro out, Stewart in. And then today, Dallas Keuchel got moved to the injured list. Uh, We already mentioned Celestino got DFA'd, and Jorge Alcala was restored from the 60-day IL and brought up to the active roster. So uh, again, I think this is probably the last we'll see of Keiko Alcala. I don't think is likely to make the playoff roster unless there's an injury and he's an injury replacement. Yeah. Yeah. He did touch 99 today though. So there's, yeah, but he also did give up one run, two runs. What was it? Uh, gave up a Homer. One Homer. Run. All right. Yeah. Well, Colorado again, but yeah. Survivor 46 is here. And so is on fire. The only official survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let's move on specifically to talking about the Blue Jays now. So let's start with... um, the Blue Jays side, how they performed against the Twins. Then we'll look at it from the other side, the Twins and how they performed against the Blue Jays. So the Twins went three and three, uh, won one series, two, one, lost another one, one, two. Then uh, their pitchers. So 
most likely 100% guaranteed. You're going to get Kevin Gossman in game one, who is one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball, period. Uh, the Twins actually played him fairly well in their two starts, which we'll get to in a second here, but um, still struck a ton of guys out. And for a team like the Twins, where that's really their Achilles heel, uh, you know, Kevin Gossman is going to be a really tough matchup. Game two, most likely, is going to go to our old friend Jose Barrios, who famously mm-hmm. kind of lost it a bit after going to Toronto, but has been kind of looking like his old self again this year where he's a solid uh, number two with, you know, the potential to throw seven shutout innings. So, uh, you know, the twins know Barrios well, they're going to have as good of scouting report on him as anyone because he was in the organization for so long. Uh, but uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting one. And then game three is where the blue Jays are really going to have to make their decision uh, whether they're going to go with Chris Bassett or you say Kikuchi, they've put up pretty similar numbers this year. Uh, but Kikuchi is the lefty, and so they may just opt to go with him. So you force the Twins to put in those uh, righty bats. And again, this is one where if you have Buxton, if he can play five innings in the outfield before he gets subbed out for, say, Matt Walner when they bring in a reliever, that's where Buxton really could be helpful. But again, I don't think you can make your decision on Buxton on a potential maybe game three starter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've joked about this earlier in the season, but it's like, well, if you just have like a mid-level lefty pitcher maybe just trot him out against the twins because he's probably going to do you know decent and uh it's kind of funny that we've reached that point in the season where this could be a reality um but yeah i mean they're the pitcher he's been good he hasn't been he hasn't been bad oh completely yeah where he's not a bad pitcher at all he's actually like been one of the better ones in the second half of the season yeah um so yeah it's it's definitely not a knock on him um bassett I think, you know, in fantasy circles, we like to joke that he's very matchup uh, agnostic. It doesn't matter who he pitches. Like, he still pitches, like, fine. Um, but he doesn't, like, destroy anyone. That being said, yeah. he did just have an outing where he had 12 strikeouts against the Yankees. But the Yankees are also a quad A team right now, so it doesn't really yeah, matter. It's Aaron Judge and a bunch of minor leaguers. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not very good. Um, yeah, so that all being said, I think um, – Gossman is, you know, dangerous. He's probably going to finish second in Cy Young voting. Yep. But the Twins managed to, you know, do well against him last season uh, in his second start. Um, and uh, yeah, Barrios, I think would it would just be really funny if Barrios is like facing the Twins, and um, it's the Twins are somehow up one zero, and he's starting game two. Um, th- there would just be some really fun storylines there. <laughs> Or vice versa, the Twins are down 0-1, Barrios starting game two, and Barrios extends the uh, streak out to 20. So uh, there's some interesting things that can happen here with uh, Jose Barrios. Uh, If we get to game three and you say Kikuchi is announced as that starter, Mm -hmm. uh, if any local Twins vigilantes wanted to help out, you could potentially maybe identify the hotel he was staying at (laughs) and mess with his uh, preferred 14 hours of sleep that he likes to get ahead of a uh, playoff start. So, you know, maybe find a fire alarm and throw him (laughs) off his groove. I don't. It's, I, it, it's stupid that, that that's like a story, but it is. I I don't actually promote doing that, but just you know, yeah, whatever. You know, just for the team, right? So just uh, you know. Anyway, um, okay. So specifically, uh, the Twins faced all four of these guys this year. So they faced Kevin Gossman twice. Uh, this first one, he went uh, five and a third. He gave up four hits. He walked five. Uh, he only gave up one run. And he struck out seven. Uh, I think this was the game where he was perfect through four or four and two thirds or something like that. The Twins just yeah. couldn't get anything I think I, done. I think I actually was at this game. 
Yeah, it, I can't remember if it was this one or the next one, but one of these, he was just on it. The Twins were not hitting anything, and yeah. then he kind of started to fall apart. And then uh, he only ended up giving up one run. But then the second outing, a little bit more success. 4.2 in this one, seven hits, four walks, six runs, only four strikeouts. And so the big one here was just they were actually getting some hits. And the nice thing, I think, in both of these cases is it seemed like they had a pretty good read on uh, the pitches despite the strikeouts taking mm-hmm. all of those walks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean – Gossman to me, Gossman to me again. I, I just said he, he's going to finish second in Cy Young voting for the AL. Yeah. But yeah, he, he's, he's fast. Human. He's human. He's fastball. He's split finger, and both of those pitches are really tough to hit. Yeah, his, so. his splitter is maybe the most disgusting pitch in in baseball. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jose Barrios was a very similar start to uh, Gossman's first one. So against Barrios, they went. Uh, he went five point two, gave up four hits. Twins took five walks, but couldn't get any across. No runs, uh, and he struck out five. So uh, a weirdly high walk game for a guy like Barrios. He doesn't tend to walk a lot of guys, but even so, he was able to pitch around it and still put up a solid outing, like we're all used to from Jose Barrios when he was with the Twins. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is the one that. Uh, you really got to get to him, right? Gossman's going to be good, almost definitely. If you get to him, great, but I don't think you can plan on it. Brios, we know, has has holes. He's had a really long stretch uh, before this year where he wasn't looking really good. And so this is the one that you really have to take advantage of, especially, obviously, if mm-hmm. you're down 0-1, this is it. And so, yeah. Uh, Chris Bassett, they Bassett only went four innings. He gave up nine hits. He walked two, he gave up seven runs and struck out five. So this was probably one of his worst starts of the year. And the twins really were able to, uh, get to him and knock in a bunch of runs. Mm -hmm. Kikuchi, five innings, four hits, one walk, two runs, four strikeouts. This is basically what we're talking about with Kikuchi. This wasn't great, but you know, only gave up two runs, went five innings. Maybe the, uh, Blue Jays opt to go with that and the lefty to get, you know, three of the twins best bats out of the lineup, including two of their best hitters since the all-star break. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the Jays go with if we get to that point. But again, before we get to that point, the twins have to win one single game, which they haven't done in 20 years. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, fun stat. I didn't realize this, uh, but I wanted to look up the numbers. So I wasn't, so we weren't just, you know, talking crap about the twins uh, since August 1st, the twins batters, have a 136 WRC plus against left-handed pitchers. What? Which is fourth in the majors. That is shocking. Like, <laughs> I I mean, I don't know how, right? Actually, because- actually, sorry. I filtered it wrong. That was left-handed pitchers at home. They're actually <laughs> third against left-handed pitchers since August 1st in general. Oh, man. Okay. Well, they hit them well at home, too, so that's good. Yeah. Um, um, but... Against righties, they're 119. So WRC plus, they're fourth. I mean, it makes basically sense. basically no. what I'm saying here is Royce Lewis single handed. Okay, Royce <laughs> I mean, Lewis and Matt Walner single handedly turned around this entire offense. I mean, but here's the thing: Matt Walner still hasn't hit lefties well. Julian hasn't hit lefties well. Kirilov hasn't hit lefties well, and those are kind of the guys that turn stuff around. Max Kepler, obviously, too. I think Kepler's been uh, a little more like league average against lefties, which for Kepler is amazing. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, I don't know. That that's pretty incredible. But um, in that case, maybe the Blue Jays just go with Bassett, go with you know who they Probably. consider to be their better yeah. pitcher. I mean, well, it depends on if Royce if Royce is playing, I guess. But yeah, yeah, that yeah, I'm actually kind of impressed. I I mean, I knew they turned it around a little bit. I knew they weren't like bottom of the league anymore. Yeah. But I didn't realize they were that good in terms of the last two months of baseball. Well, especially given that they've done it without Buxton and Correa, who are their big righty bats. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Um. 
All right. Speaking of bats, let's uh, let's get into the Blue Jays here and what they've done. So, John, why don't you take this section away? Yeah. So, I mean, let's just say for what it is, the bats have been underperforming for the Jays this entire season. Um, if you know their roster well, it's filled with a bunch of stars who honestly have had decent seasons, but just not what you expect out of out of guys of this caliber. Obviously, I'm also speaking from a little bit of a fantasy perspective where these guys have just underperformed in terms of like counting stats and ratios. And obviously the defense is maybe a little bit different component, but just focusing on the bats in a three game series, this team is still incredibly dangerous because all it needs is just one or two swings and that can completely change uh, the, the trajectory of a game, but starting off Bo Bichette, their starting shortstop underperformed, not really on pace to be his numbers from last year, which was already kind of a down year compared to his breakout 2021 season. But he does have a 307 average and a 124 WRC plus. So he's still a, a decent hitter, um, you know, above average guy. And uh, he actually torched the twins, which was like not fun when he played us. Like he was smacking balls all over the field, just lasers, um, absolute lasers um, off these twins pitchers. So um, incredibly dangerous guy. And that was both in Minnesota and in Toronto. So it wasn't like a home away sort of thing for him. Um, obviously, the marquee player for the Blue Jays is Vlad Guerrero Jr. He has a 118 WRC plus this season, which is kind of a down year, basically. His numbers aren't like that bad. 26 homers, 78 runs, 94 RBIs, 5 stolen bases with a 345 OBP. That being said, though, th- that's nowhere near his numbers two seasons ago when he was you know, over 40 homers, uh, over, like 120 RBIs or something crazy like that. Uh, still a down year, but again, one of the most dangerous hitters in the league. All he needs is one swing, and he completely changed the game. And he's actually a really good defensive first baseman as well. It doesn't matter too much, I think, in this context, but he can make the plays at first base as good as anyone else. Um, and that's it's at least you know why he's not completely uh, a negative for uh, the Blue Jays this season. Yeah, I think uh, really, really quick on Vlad here. I think a lot of the disappointment with him has been that he's not uh, the you know recurring MVP candidate that I think the Blue Jays mm-hmm. were counting on him to be. But that doesn't mean he's not a good hitter, right? He's still All Star level. You know, this year's a little down, only uh, two WAR, but still, just the offensive numbers alone. He's a really good middle of the order bat, even if he's not the MVP guy he looked like a couple of years ago. Right. He has like an 800 ish OPS, you know, right. like it's not bad. It's just not a thousand. So, yeah, <laughs> that's all. Um, the other guy, you know, one of the big, the other big three guys, George Springer, who, I mean, obviously won a World Series with Carlos Correa in Houston, um, but he's, you know, a little bit older now. He's, this year was a big step back compared to previous seasons, 104 WRC plus compared to 133 last year. The counting sets are actually pretty similar if you look at them. But that, that being said, it took 100, it took 100 more plate appearances uh, to match and not even match his run and RBI totals from last year. He's still below those numbers. Um, I think even uh, when you add in, when you add in today's game. Um, so yeah, he has been as good Um he isn't as fast as he was before either. Um, so, you know, maybe not the biggest contributor to the Jays offense, but he has that World Series experience. Yeah. He has that that playoff um, experience, and that just becomes invaluable uh, when you come to these three-game series. And then other notable players to mention, um, they're kind of three big offseason acquisitions in Dalton Varsho, Matt Chapman, and Brandon Belt. Um, all those guys were... Uh, lefty hitters that they were hoping would make a difference um, in Toronto after they brought in the the 
the the the fences. All of them have had like fairly mess seasons. Varsha Varsha almost has a twenty twenty season in terms of whole, uh, homers and stolen bases. So um, he hasn't been as bad. But of course, he also helped the Twins get two homers this season. You remember <laughs> yeah. those plays where basically oh, yeah. he had like a dead to rights fly ball, and um, it just bounced off his glove two two different times and gave the Twins a homer. So he did kind of repay the favor, though. Uh, I think in a future series where I think he robbed a guy and then he also hit his own homer. So um, there is that Kevin Kiermeyer's there, uh, you know, kind of defensive um, outfielder, but he's got plenty of playoff experience as well. Uh, can hit the ball decently. And then kind of the main guy who's made a lot of um, noise for the Blue Jays recently is rookie David Schneider, um, who basically no one knew existed. Uh, I and still he, don't know. Yeah. He, he went on an absolute tear this year, which is kind of, uh, kind of insane. He came up and I think was just hitting homers immediately as soon as he got called up to the stage. That being said though, he was on a nine game uh, drought where he couldn't get on base at all, uh, but he did finally get a hit in uh, today's game. So, um, you know, maybe hopefully he's not going on another hot streak is, is all I'm going to say right now. Yeah, he, he's a 5'9", 25-year-old rookie who was drafted in the 28th round of the 2017 draft, right? Like this is a guy – this is like one of those guys where it's like if they bring anything to the organization at all, great. Mm-hmm. But he he's come up and just had an otherworldly streak, right? He was – in the minors, he was still taking a good amount of walks and everything. But I, I don't think anybody expected anything like this from him. Yeah, I mean if you really want to you know, extrapolate stuff um... – in his in his thirty four major league games, he's had eight homers, twenty one runs, and twenty RBI. And if you extrapolate that out to a full season, that's like a forty homer, hundred run, hundred RBI season. So. Yeah, so I don't think he's going to keep up that, but he's going to no. be starting for them, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, he's a bat you have to think about. One other thing I want to add here uh, from Bo Bichette mm-hmm. is he got hurt. Uh, I think it was the beginning of August, and then he came back for a little bit and got hurt again towards the end. Kind of short uh, injured list stints on either of those. But since those injuries, uh, he's hitting 265, 311 with a 386 slugging percentage, right? That's 697 OPS. He just hasn't looked like the same guy, right? He's not terrible, but he's not the um, – you know, MVP candidate. He wasn't the first half when the twins faced him the first time around. And Mm so, um, yeah, you still got to be worried about him. He's still, uh, he's still Bobachette. He's still one of the best shortstops in the game, but he's not, uh, he's not the guy he once was. And so maybe, you know, the twins are catching a little bit of break, catching him at the right time. Um, and then on the other side too, Matt Chapman, um, he got a lot of buzz early on because he had a really hot first, like month and a half of the season. And since then he has a OPS under 600. Right. And so the second half total, he has a 663 OPS, uh, with Kiermaier, with Varsho, with Chapman, they're guys who, um, a lot of their value comes on the defensive side of the ball, and that's shown this year for the Blue Jays, right? Uh, when you have Varsho in left, Kiermaier in center, that's a really good defensive alignment, even if Springer's maybe lost a bit of a step in right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I don't think we're going to see a lot of defensive miscues, even despite Varsho uh, maybe knocking over two homers for the Twins. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see something like that again. And yeah. so, um, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I think the Twins have in their favor, but at the same time, there's a lot of big names here that can do a lot of damage. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the Twins you know, go about attacking them. Yeah, and if you love small sample sizes, in six games against Minnesota this year, uh, Springer has a 1247 OPS, so basically he's playing like an MVP candidate uh, against us, or not even MVP candidate, legitimately like a Hall of Famer against us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kevin Biggio, who uh, just 
has not been very good this entire season, has an OPS over 1,000 against us. Uh, Bichette, like I mentioned, was just smacking the ball over the field, 963 OPS. Uh, on the opposite side, though, Brandon Belt, 367 OPS. Vlad, 382 OPS. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, 421. Mr. Bowling Ball himself. Uh, <laughs> Dalton Varsho, 573. And Matt Chapman with the same number there. So it's a mixed bag. Also, it's six games. Uh, so we're about yeah. to literally play half of those games uh, potentially uh, in this uh, upcoming series. So um, yeah. all those numbers could definitely change, but it's just interesting to know the trends. Yeah, we, we got a few other stats here. Again, the main thing to keep in mind, incredibly small sample sizes, right? There's not a lot to take away from here, but I yeah. do think it's interesting uh, just to look at who has beaten the Twins who has not. Like Kevin Biggio having an OPS over 1,000 versus the Twins, he has a 705 OPS on the season. Yeah. And so, you know, he just turned into somebody else for those six games. And in fact, I think he only played in like three of them. And so it's uh, very small, like we said, but I think it's still just interesting to uh, look at these and see where we're at and see if maybe the twins go about something a little bit differently. So let's talk about the twin side here, the pitchers. So uh, Pablo uh, Gray and Ryan all faced the Blue Jays this year. So we at least have that one uh, sample we can look at. Pablo went 5.2. He gave up three walks, four runs, and he struck out six. Uh, Sonny Gray went five, gave up five hits, two walks, no runs, and uh, struck out five. Joe Ryan went six innings, six hits, one rock, walk, three runs, only struck out four, which is pretty low for Joe. And so all three of these, not great, not terrible. I think if the Twins got these three performances out of their starters, maybe they want a little bit more from Pablo, but Sonny and Ryan especially, I think they would be thrilled with those outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be good with that, especially um, if let's just say they, they go six, right? Because it, it kind of fixes the bullpen question that we have. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of the bullpen, uh, again, this is even a smaller sample size where I think each of these guys faced them once, uh, you know, maybe faced three batters. But Griffin Jacks, uh, he had a 182 OPS against him and didn't give up any runs. Great. Awesome. That's what I believe they're supposed to do. Uh, Louis Varland, granted, this is at a starter, but they uh, hit him around a little bit. They had a 910 OPS against him and a 591 ERA. Uh, and Emilio Pagan, 808 OPS against and a 9 ERA. And so, again, even smaller than the sample sizes for the starting pitchers or the hitters or the relievers. So take those with a giant grain of salt. I don't think that's going to impact the twins plans at all with the bullpen. Yeah. Um, and if we really want to talk about the bats, uh, some really small sample sizes here, really um, small sample sizes, but man, there's some really big numbers here. <laughs> Matt Walner is playing like two hall of famers with a OPS over <laughs> 2000. And you get that by having six hits and nine at bats. And one of those being a Homer. So and I think there was like three walks mixed in there as well. Right. Which obviously boosts, boosts up the OPS, but yeah, yeah. two, one, seven, five for Matt Walner. I think I remember this is like, he had this game and then I think he got sent down. Right. And then like, yeah, all, that's everyone right. was like so that. annoyed. Cause he had like an amazing eight game stretch. And then the twins are like, you know what though? Joey Gallo is the answer here. <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot about that, man. That was what a long season baseball is. We've come so far since then. Yeah. Uh, other numbers, Royce Lewis has a 1750 OPS. Michael A. Taylor is a god, 1566 OPS. Um, he should be starting every single game in this one. I'm kidding. Uh, Just one of the – he had, it was one of the streaks for him where he goes on home run streaks yeah. and he had like three home runs in five games or something like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Eddie Julian going against his native Canadian team with a 1265 OPS. Donovan Solano, 1233 OPS. Carlos Correa looking like a MVP candidate with a 1014 OPS. Willie Castro, surprisingly, and only an 856 OPS. How could the team leader in OPS be doing that poorly? Um, <laughs> I hit a little bit. Some bad ones, though. Byron Buxton, 071. Jeffers just didn't do anything. Like, he didn't get a walk. Literally, get literally a nothing. He, Not he literally game. did nothing against the Jays. Um, Kyle Farmer, 369 OPS. And then uh, Alexander Kiloff with a 577 OPS. Yeah, I mean, a couple things here, right? Maybe this is influencing the uh, no Byron Buxton decision, uh, if nothing else. Uh, I don't think it would, but uh, who knows? Brian Jeffers, uh, this was really before he started having his hot streak and started figuring a few more things out. And so yeah. maybe take that with a grain of salt. Uh, and same thing with Alex Kirilov, too, where he really started to drive the ball, put it together a little bit more uh, towards the July-August range. And so, again, take it with a grain of salt. The Twins have been playing a lot better since that last series with the Blue Jays, which I think was like beginning of July, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, maybe end of June, something around there. So, again, it's a, it's a very different team, both personnel-wise and just like lineup-wise, right, where – at this point, I think Julian was batting towards the bottom of the lineup. Walner, same thing, and got optioned right after. And so there's a lot uh, different. And so grains of salt, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, one more stat to bring up, which you told me before this uh, this podcast, <laughs> and I had to look it up to really believe it. But with the Twins playing the Blue Jays, there's a potential likelihood that being the Twins, they're going to get relegated to the day game, which really isn't even a day game. It's a 4 p.m. start, but it's essentially the, the early start in the division series. And um, you mentioned Max Kepler has very poor day games compared to night games. And I was like, there's no way this is a thing. 164 at bats during the day, uh, 300, uh, 272 at bats at at night, which makes sense. It's usually a ratio of like two to one, right. uh, in terms of day games, night games. In that many games, he has a 177 average in day games, a 584 OPS. Uh, so yeah, definitely not good numbers in night games. 309 average with a 953 OPS. <laughs> Like he goes from oh, a below man. replacement player to an, to an MVP all-star. level player. Like, yeah. like that's actually <laughs> hilarious. Uh, it's who knows what it is. Again, it's a small sample size because there's much fewer day games than night games. But there are guys that talk about how just in the night you have that darker backdrop, and sometimes it's easier to pick up the ball. And so, I guess um, sure it, there, there's maybe something to that. Um, actually, are you able to uh, split that out by half? first half versus second half oh uh, yeah i can look at that well uh, while you're looking up that let, let's talk about one more thing with uh max cutler here which yeah you know, we've talked about the offensive turnaround and the uh rookies let's once again give max cutler a huge shout out because totally the two of us along with most of twins fans were calling him for him to be off of the roster and in the second half he has an ops over 900 right he has looked yeah. the best he ever has uh in his entire career for a very long extended streak uh, I talked about his ability against lefties earlier uh, for the entire season. This isn't even split up by half since he's been good, but for the entire season, he has a 751 OPS against lefties, which again, for Max Cutler, you will take that every day of the week. Mm -hmm. And uh, the full line for the second half, Max Kepler experience, 305 batting average, 376 OBP, 549 uh, slugging percentage, good for a 926 OPS. Uh, John Foley, our mutual friend that writes for us at Twinkie Town and also writes at PitcherList, uh, he broke this down a little bit into the Max Kepler renaissance and basically just 
He decided to start hitting line drives. That was the whole thing, right? And that's what we talked about with Max Kepler, where he just puts the ball on the ground too much. He hits it fairly hard onto the ground, but it's on the ground. Well, he started elevating those somehow, maybe some adjustment, and now he's literally the Twins' best hitter. Mm -hmm. So you got to give Kep a huge shout out. I mean, he was to the point where he was going to be off the roster. There was no way uh, his option was going to be picked up next year. And now there's no way it doesn't. He's going to be in the middle of the order again for this team, and he deserves it. Right, yeah. All right, so if we're looking at second-half numbers, right, if we want to kind of take into account that Max Kepler renaissance, it doesn't look as bad. Actually, it's, it's the numbers are actually funnier. Um, during day games during the second half of the season, which I think basically counts like after the All-Star break, um, 209 average with a 707 OPS. So, again, not very good, uh, but only in 91 WRC+. Plus. So he's like a little bit below average. He wasn't like, you know, way below average. Yeah. It gets even funnier, though, when you look at night games because he actually has <laughs> – a 343 average with an OPS over a thousand. <laughs> like, oh, God, like he's legitimately like an MVP player when he's when he's playing at night. <laughs> well, l- listen, th- the days are getting shorter. Uh, Minnesota, especially being up yeah, north, you know, and so maybe even that day game, you can get a little bit of the uh, <laughs> night game credit. So, uh, I-, I think I think you're right that it's pretty likely that the Twins get the uh, whatever the earliest start is. Yeah that that's where the twins will be both because uh, I didn't realize this until uh, one of my friends pointed it out, but there is no ESPN in Canada where they're airing these games. And so ESPN oh, really? doesn't, yeah, ESPN doesn't care if uh, the Canadians draw a bunch of eyes because pretty much the entire country roots for the blue Jays. If you're oh, a fan of baseball, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that doesn't matter because none of those guys can be tuning in to ESPN. I think they have a different way to watch it there. If the blue Jays are playing, yeah, but it's like TSN if it's not ESPN and ESPN is the one deciding when these games are going to start, the twins are a hundred percent going to get the worst time. Yeah. So. That, yeah. And I guess the, the other thing too, to mention about this whole day night thing is that technically day games start at noon in, in during the season. So this four o'clock start is like, like you mentioned, it's going to still be a little bit darker. So if yeah. you really want to be, you know, somewhat superstitious about this whole thing, like it's like, um, um, a, a midday game. <laughs> I've solved their Byron Buxton problem from the hours <laughs> of four to five 30. Uh-huh. Byron Buxton's in right field. After okay. that, you bring in Max Kepler. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's done. Right. There that that's how you that's how you fix two problems at once. Yeah, we're gonna slow down baseball for the playoffs so that, <laughs> that Kepler gets more innings in the night portion of the of the of the day. Yeah, exactly. However you can do it to make sure Kepler gets the most at bats. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, uh just some good stuff here. John, do you have any uh final thoughts about the Blue Jays before we wrap up? Um, it's gonna be a fun matchup for sure. I mean, if if we're able to you know, kind of corral this team and kind of make legitimately like make them play like they've been playing this entire season. And I think the twins have a legitimate shot shot to win one game. I hesitate to say two because after all, these are the twins. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think we do have a legitimate shot to win one game. I think if we were playing the Astros, I'd feel a lot worse about it. Um, But I do think, you know, beyond Kevin Gaussman, like the rest of the team is mortal. Uh, and even Kevin Gaussman's, not, you know, obviously not perfect, but to me, he's the scariest guy on on their team, yeah. and um, and I think our bats can actually match their bat production. So ultimately, it's really going to come down to pitching, and I do think the Twins pitchers are are on an overall basis better than what what uh, what the Blue Jays can offer. Yeah, if you're looking at a at a game by game basis, right? Uh, I, I think Gaussman probably you'd take over Pablo, but then games two, games three, I do think I would take the twins guys over Toronto's. And yeah. so um, on, on the pitching side, if you're looking at it from, from there, um, I, I think they're matched up. Well, I think you're right that with the twins, with all these lefty bats facing a very right heavy pitching staff from Toronto, 
you know, it, it's a good matchup. I think the twins are going to be in a good spot here. And, uh, this has been written about at length by pretty much anywhere that covers baseball, but everything that happens in the playoffs is so antithetical to how baseball, the baseball season works, right? Mm-hmm. It's so long. There's so much that goes on and now it's all going to come down to three games where literally anything can happen, such as the Kansas city Royals sweeping the Houston Astros. Right. Yeah. And so, which happened last weekend. And so literally it, there's just anything that can happen. And that's why it's like, it's small sample sizes, even without small sample sizes, it doesn't matter. The 2019 nationals happen. The 2022 Phillies happen, right? Like guys get hot and maybe Kyle farmer carries you to the ALCS, right? Literally there is <laughs> anything that can happen here. And so we can break this down all we want, but at the end of the day, it's just going to come down to who's going to score the most runs, which sounds very basic, but mm-hmm. That's just how it is, right? This isn't like the basketball playoffs where I think you'd, you'd probably say 90% of the time the right team wins the championship. That's not the case with baseball. I think if you're matching up shot for shot, I would take the Twins over the Blue Jays at this point, but it's three games. We don't know what's going to happen. And for the love of God, just win one. That's all I want. Not really. I think they should win and they should advance, but if they can win the one, it's just getting the monkey off of your back so that mm-hmm. the entire state of Minnesota doesn't have to have the caveat every single time <laughs> something good happens to the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that uh, YouTube video that was going viral from, uh, I think his name was Chris Hanel or Hanel. Yeah, um, I didn't watch made, it, but I, I saw it. Yeah, I saw yeah, it, it, people talking about it. If anybody's listening who hasn't watched it, definitely check it out. It's a breakdown of how historically unlucky the Twins have been uh, in this playoff losing streak. Basically, by almost any conceivable metric, it's the most unlucky losing streak in the history of professional baseball. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the odds of losing all 18 of these in a row was something like 69 billion to one, <laughs> uh, just astronomically small. And so it has to end at some point, just mathematically, right? No, but I mean, yeah, technically, but... <laughs> If we want to get philosophical, I don't know if there's a God, but if there is, he personally hates the state of Minnesota. So um, anyway, I'm going to make one funny comment about that. So last week I saw like on Instagram, like, um, like number the, the, like um, they were talking about team uh, uh, cities that have both a football team and a baseball team. Mm -hmm. And like the last time that both teams won at home. uh, And then for, for the the worst team was I think the Pittsburgh Pirates who or Pittsburgh Pirates and Pittsburgh Steelers both those teams have not won on home at the same day since like 2017 or something like that. Firmly in second place though Minneapolis. So yeah, if you want to if you want another weird football thing, I don't know if you watched the Vikings game today, but I Kirk did, Cousins yeah. maybe played his worst game as a Minnesota Viking and the Twins won their first or the Vikings <laughs> the won their first won. game of the season. Exactly. So. so that's clearly the strategy here is that the offense actually has to suck in order for the the team to win. So yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> When we talk next week, the Twins might be done, the streak might be 20, or the Twins might have moved on, or anything in between, right? I I think even by the time next week, I think we'll have a game or two of the ALDS uh, in the books. True, yeah. I I think it starts on Saturday, and so we should get a game uh, Saturday, Sunday. And so if the Twins advance, we'll have quite a bit to talk about, including, uh, you know, what happens here. We'll break that all down, and we will... You know, we'll we'll see what happens, but I'm feeling as confident about this team as I have about any Twins team, you know, in my conscious life being a fan of the team because the pitching is in such a good spot and they have the bats, right? Yeah. If you want to compare it to 2019, which I think is the last big one, the pitching just was not there yeah. at all in any way, shape, or form. This is different. These guys are different. Let's get the monkey off our backs so that just baseball fans in Minnesota can enjoy success without having to have that caveat every single time. Yeah. I guess a couple things um, for kind of housekeeping stuff like pay attention to the podcast feed over this week because we'll likely be doing some form of game recaps after each game 
Um, we're still depends kind of how depressed I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it, it depends on our personal mood and how it's going to go. But um, yeah, for sure, there will there'll probably be some content throughout this week. And especially if they get to the ALDS, I wouldn't be surprised if we did just a little yeah. bit more content before yeah, definitely. that started. Um, the other thing, too, a uh, shout out to the 2019 Twins who are still holding the record. Did um, they make it? I didn't for, check up on the yeah, for a number of homers because Atlanta got to tie the record. They didn't beat it. Well, suck on that, Braves. Yeah, so twin- I'm 90 percent sure you're cheating anyway. So <laughs> that being said, they they did finish with a collective slugging percentage, I think, of 501, which is insane. Um, but yeah, the twin, the 2019 Twins still hold the record, albeit in a tie. But uh, they hold, they still hold the record for uh, the number of homers, and that should you know wipe away any sadness from also happening to hold the uh, record for uh, strikeouts in a season this year. <laughs> yeah. Um- I will just say one last thing about the Braves, which is Ronald Acuna is a great player. He's likely going to win NL MVP. You do not slice your strikeout rate in half at this point of your career without something else going on. So, Is there any um, trash cans in Atlanta that we're aware yeah, of or something like that? I don't that? know. It, it's one of those <laughs> things where 2019, right, the juice ball, everybody's putting up historic numbers. But when you're so far ahead of everybody else and everybody is putting up career best seasons, I mean, come on. Like, really? Really? <laughs> anyway. We'll see. You heard I'm it sure here we'll first, find out. guys. Acuna potentially is cheating. I, I think the entire team is cheating. So <laughs> um, we'll we'll uh, we'll check back on that one in five years when they're granted uh, amnesty and can speak about it, and nobody will get punished for it. Yeah, so. exactly. All right. Well, on that very encouraging note. Again, be sure to follow the pod. Be sure to subscribe. Share it with your friends now that we're in playoff time. we got a lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, hopefully, we'll be having some celebratory podcasts here soon. If they win on Tuesday, I'm just going to like – I don't know what time they start, but I'm already like preemptively getting ready to take a sick day at work. Like I'm going <laughs> to just, I'm going to have uh, some drinks ready, whether it's celebratory or to drown my misery, but yeah. either way, there's quite literally nothing I can think about except for this game. Oh, and so, also um, just official. It's the game times are going to start at three thirty eight PM. Three thirty eight. Very specific. Are Central the twins time. officially in Central that time. slot and that slot? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan okay. tweeted out about half an hour ago. Okay, well, 338 is not a, not a full game, day game, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Max Kepler, again, you just need to do it for two games. That's all that matters. Yeah. Um, again, like, subscribe, follow, share, do all that good stuff. If you want to follow us individually, you can check out John on Twitter slash X at the John Cut and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And you can follow the podcast at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, and again, we really appreciate anybody who tuned in at any level uh, throughout the season. I've had a lot of fun doing this. You know, we've kind of talked about how we know we don't get a ton of listeners on this, but it's fun for the two of us to get together to talk about some twins, commiserate a little bit, celebrate a little bit. So if you have been listening, we really appreciate it. And uh, we hope you'll stick with us through the playoffs here. Yeah. Twins have won a AL Central title every season that we've done this podcast so far. You heard it here first. You know, in the last 20 years, what hasn't happened? We haven't hosted a podcast. So maybe we're, we're the lucky charm. I said it when I went to uh, Target Field for the first time in like a decade yeah. uh, earlier this year. And they won both the games I was at. So, there you, go. you know, yeah. We're, we're the magic charm here. So we will see you next Sunday when the twins are in the ALDS. And until then, go twins. <laughs>